MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, June 9th, 2020. Today, Chauvin's bail is set at $1.25 million. The Department of Justice is moving forward with charges against Flynn's accomplice. The U.S. officially demands Britain hand over Prince Andrew in the Jeffrey Epstein case. New polling shows a majority feels the country is out of control. Trump's approval rating tanks as new polls show Biden's lead widening. Republican Senator Grassley is holding up Trump nominations until he gets answers on the firing of inspectors general. What defund the police actually means. And Trump's Justice Department denies the existence of systematic racism in policing as Trump weighs addressing the nation about race. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. Hello. Yes, you heard that correctly. Trump is considering giving a speech about uniting the country and issues with racism. Yeah, I couldn't think of a least qualified person to do that except for the fact that he's our president and he kind of has to. I know. And I know exactly everything he's going to say. I've already written a Trump speech for this. Uh, I have it. I'm going to take a photo of it. So for posterity, I don't want to release it yet. Uh, But I will take a photo of it so that you so that there's proof that it exists. There's a lot of uh, law and order in there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of uh, Biden wants to defund the police. Do we have to dominate? The piece he's going to give himself credit for the rallies being peaceful. Uh, because he dominated mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, his law and order. Uh, he's going to tell us that Biden wants to abolish the, the police and defund the military and be weak on crime. Um, and there's going to be there's just going to be a lot of that. Uh, and, and, and then he'll talk about all the amazing things he's done for the, bl- uh, the black people and that uh, the un- he'll, he'll lie about some unemployment numbers. Uh, and that, that'll be pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Um and then he'll say something egregious about the Floyd family, and I don't know what it is yet, but it, it's something I, I'm not, I, I don't have the, the fucking demented brain to even imagine. So I think that's what's going to happen, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Jordan, how, how, are you, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I spent this whole morning, and it's still going right now. There's a San Diego City Council meeting on the approval of a fiscal year 2021 budget, and there's a direct action that was organized by grassroots organizers for everybody to call in and it, it's like completely flooded there's only 148 spots that can be taken on the queue at once and since the meeting started at 11 it's now 2:38 p.m pacific time it's been completely full and there's been 148 people on the line constantly and as soon as you're done talking you get off the phone and then everyone's just been hopping on the live stream on the internet to watch it but it's i've heard four comments so far that we're in support of police and everybody in the funding because what's happened is mayor faulkner in san diego is requesting a or proposing uh, a really big increase to SDPD right now and they're also taking money from the cares act and redirecting that into police funding instead of redirecting it what? to the yes that's a huge part that's a huge part of this whole thing that's happening right now. I have the number. $42.2 million of COVID funding is going to police instead of going to the communities that are most vulnerable and hit right now and are experiencing issues with housing and public health and, and all of that. So there's a specific rent. Re- okay. Yeah. So so it's like 
It's an incredibly, that in itself is an incredibly reasonable request. On top of that, you're getting the range of people that are asking from everything from, you know, put that $42.2 million back into the hands of the people that need it. And then also you get people that are asking to just defund the police and disband the police entirely in San Diego like they've done in Minneapolis. But most people are saying, don't give that COVID funding to police and don't give them extra funding. If anything, give them less funding and reinvest it into the community in housing, education and public health. Yeah. And mental health response and SARP, which is like a, a rape uh, response mm-hmm. team and uh, domestic violence uh, thing. And and so, OK, so now that is I didn't know that they, that they were trying to give CARES Act money to the cops. So the, the cops are now the cops are in charge of responding to mental health issues, uh, giving out stop sign tickets, uh, showing up where people are murdered uh and now they're in charge of covid response yeah uh, okay uh like that just makes zero sense yes. so I'm, I'm really glad to see this kind of civic engagement yeah it's amazing it's still it broke the phone lines at one point there was this it, they had to like stop the meeting and restart it again because the phone system was breaking because so many people are calling in i think towards the end we're going to start hearing more people that are like trumpers like one person one person called and said that all the people talking are a direct result of domestic terrorists organizing and then said Trump 2020 at the end. So there's people that are like that, but but it's it's so overwhelmingly people from the community that are just a lot of allies, honestly. There's a lot of like Latino and Latina people calling in and there's like a decent amount of white people calling in and it's a, it's a I've heard a lot of like Obviously, I'm just going off of names, but I've heard a lot of like API names, too. It's a super, super diverse background of people that are calling in to support. And only the four people have called in support of Trump, but they're all they all sound very white and have very white names. So that's to be expected. Yeah. And I mean, San Diego is a pretty diverse place. So that's that's good news. And I, I'm I'm I haven't seen this kind of local engagement uh, across the country uh, ever in my life. So this is hopefully the the catalyst for this major, major structural change that needs to happen. And we're going to talk about what it means to defund the police. And we're going to talk about uh, what the, the Democrats are proposing federally uh, and what people are trying to do locally. Um, Jordan, you're going to go over that. We have a lot of news to get to. So let's just do it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, so for Hot Notes today, I've got a few different stories. Uh, First story is about Trump, what you were saying in the beginning. It's being rumored right now that he's coming up, they're coming up with a plan, the White House is coming up with a plan for him to address the nation this week on issues related to race and national unity. This was hinted at by Ben Carson. Um, so he he went on CNN on Sunday. He said, I believe you're going to be hearing from the president this week on this topic in some detail. And I would ask you maybe to reserve judgment until after that time, Carson said. Uh, Carson is housing and urban development secretary. And I think what you also mentioned this in the beginning, and I think you're absolutely right, and this is what a lot of the opinion writers and reporters are remarking on, is that the people that are advising Trump right now are telling him that the lack of, you know, or less, I'm not going to say lack of violence, because there's still 100% been violence 
against protesters over the weekend. But the diminished amount of violence and clashes with police is something that they're going to attribute to his use of force and his law and order and his dominating vibe that he is saying all of the cities and states need to be imposing on their citizens and that's why we've seen less incidences of violence with police and that is 100% not the case. The reason why police are backing down and checking themselves is because grassroots organizers and people everywhere are holding them accountable and they keep fucking up and all that shit keeps going viral and they're not in the power position right now outside of the fact that they have all the ammunition and weapons that they could ever possibly want. Figuratively, they're not in the power position. That's why they're being held accountable right now and they're pulling back and reserving judgment. I think, at least in this, mm-hmm. the, the trends mm-hmm. that I see. So, and that's definitely not the case everywhere. Like I said, there's still really messed up stuff happening. But that address is just going to be historical. The, regardless of how it goes, it's going to go down in the history books, or at least the history book that is my memory forever, I'm sure. I, I can't wait to see what fucked up shit he says, honestly. I can't even wait to see how they try to spin this because now his election is going to ride on reopening the economy and fucking everybody super hard on COVID-19 and now in tandem continuing to support a police state those are going to be the two tenants that he's going to run in November on now and I think that this speech is going to be essentially a campaign rally for those causes together because the jobs yep. numbers came out and they're doing better than people expected. So he's going to ride that wave too. Ah, uh, but those job numbers, those were fake. Wait, what do you mean they were fake? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, the jobs report uh, for April and May, the unemployment rate was 3%, is actually 3% higher than is reported uh, by the Bureau of Labor Statistics because they weren't counting people. They weren't counting a, a group of people and they did that on purpose. Oh, got it. I hadn't heard the headline. Thank you. Still, mm-hmm, te- mm-hmm. technically, though, it's gone down because we are just starting to reopen things like at a very, you know, tepid level. But yeah, it's obviously not because he's doing well. <laughs> the number of jobless claims reduced itself a little bit. It was only two million uh, this past week, uh, the well, week, week ago. Uh, but the unemployment rate went up. It's at, it's at 16.6. Wow. What what reporting am I reading? It must have been from... I mean, I only like... I think I saw CNN any... I'll, I'll do this research on my own. Because now... Well, I mean, this is pretty new. This came out yesterday. Okay. That, that these numbers were... Because the jobs report came out last week. And everyone was like, oh, looks good. Uh, it's better than we expected. It's only a 13.3% unemployment right. rate. Um. But we found out yesterday that it is actually 16.6. Got it. Uh, and that they they weren't. I mean, I think people found out sooner than that because I think it's actually in the report mm-hmm. that they didn't count these certain amount of people. And so they had, you know, somebody had to do the ba- the backwards math. But totally. in any case, the numbers were under report. Because I tweeted out, I was like, does anyone else feel like with an additional 2 million jobless claims and now we have 42 million, 43 million unemployed um, that... That and then now you you added two point five million jobs. That doesn't sound 
and and then the unemployment rate goes from 15 to 13 that doesn't sound right that something's weird mm-hmm. and everyone's like you're crazy it's the bureau of labor statistics they've always reported it the same way and then oh oh two days later <laughs> nope yeah well yeah it's just seemed off not surprising i guess but regardless of all of those pesky facts I still think during his <laughs> speech, he's going to be touting that constantly because he relies on people. Yeah, he'll lie about it, too. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, but be on the lookout for that this week, everybody. Mm, Horrifying. Can't wait. Um, we should have a bingo. We should like we should make yeah. a bingo. Yeah, the fucked up. How many times he says dominate and how many times he says law and order and how many times Yeah, yeah he says uh, Antifa gonna say that so many fucking times Antifa. domestic terrorism yeah radical left wing mm-hmm yep yeah yeah he's gonna he's gonna link the economy his perception or at least the perception he's trying to present the country he's gonna link that to black americans saying that he's helping them has always helped them one thousand mm-hmm. percent it's fucking mm-hmm. gonna be awful and meanwhile bill barr His attorney general said Sunday that he did not believe racism was a systemic problem in policing. And this is the same shit that other people have been saying in Trump's top administration circle. And it's just like the most, you know, I mean, God, what words to even describe that? Tone deaf, racially blind, inaccurate, uh, white supremacist. 100% fucking wrong yes just a hundred percent fucking wrong the opposite is true and and i encourage everyone to watch uh john oliver from from last night uh because he goes into the history from the beginning of the country of why there is Mm -hmm. systematic racism in policing and it's really well done it's like phd research level dissertation well done so hats off Hats off to him. Can't wait to watch that. I mean, it's reflected in the public comments of this meeting that's still going on in San Diego. The the out of the four shitheads that have that's not a nice way to refer to people, but you know, people expressing shithead ideas. Out of those those people, they were saying stuff like, "It's only a few bad apples. Don't punish a whole good department for a few bad apples." And that's a huge, huge misconception that people have. And and also. I've been reading, like, so many amazing articles and papers that people have written who have studied white supremacy and how it functions. We are taught and socialized to think of racism as individual acts of being shitty to people that are not white. And if you don't do those things personally, or you don't see instances of those things personally, then that must mean, you know, either you're not racist or you're living in a post-racial society. And that's just not the case at all. Racism happens and is perpetuated consistently just by the very nature of these systems even existing. Like you said, their foundations are in systemic racism. It's literally impossible to not engage in racism and inadvertently be racist living in the society as it's set up currently. It is a anti-black society and it always has been. It's just so off the mark for any sort of interpretation of law enforcement to be that it's only a few bad apples is why this is happening hmm. yeah but bill bar here it fucking all sucks yeah bill bar said i don't think <laughs> i don't think that the law enforcement system is systemically racist i think we have to recognize that for most of our history our institutions were explicitly racist 
And then apparently, I guess there was just a magical switch, and a white supremacist got elected, and now nothing's racist. That's how it works, I guess. That's how he thinks that all happened. I'm sp- I like am speechless as to yeah. Now, I shouldn't say I'm surprised. Um, but it's that's I don't yeah I don't even know what to say. <laughs> like I don't even know what to say. Right. You know. Yeah. Well, this is the kind of they're cloaking their racism in this sort of you know this is what's so insidious about the racism in this country is they're able to cloak it in this language that's like you know it's just it's just the bad actors we have to take care of that that's where the problem lies that's all it really is and it is such a gross misrepresentation of the prison industrial complex that they've all benefited from especially in that upper tier of people in his administration. You know that they're all profiting off of the prison industrial complex. All of them. A lot of citizens are without knowing it, if they invest in stocks and stuff and different funds. It's just like such an integral part of how our system is set up. And when they talk about it like this and try to separate the facts from, you know, whatever, like, it's just incompatible what they're saying is so not true but it sounds more comforting for their white base to accept as the truth because then they don't have to really face the music well yeah and you just hit the nail on the head this speech is not going to be for black people this is going to be for his white base so that they can feel okay about voting for him again that's all that it is and uh that's all it will be if if they let him do it if his handlers let him do it if he's not too jerky that day with his weird God. shoulder and accordion hands. Jesus. You know? Can, um, can you imagine the uh, speechwriters right now? Just like, oh, man, I do not envy them. I mean, they're pieces of crap, I'm sure. Otherwise, they would resign and not work for him. But holy yeah, shit. fuck them. Yeah. Let them squirm. Because every time Trump reads off of a teleprompter, it's he's reading it for the first time. And he, you can see him be surprised by what he's saying himself. Yeah. And, and, then he'll, and then he'll ad lib on it. And then he'll be like, oh, listen to what I just said right there. And, uh, 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 and then he'll do his own whatever the fuck. Yep. And he, and, but he, it's, it's always amazing to find him genuinely surprised at the words that are coming out of his mouth. Because he doesn't read the speech. He makes... Maybe people try to read it to him and he just can't fucking absorb it. I don't know what it is. But whenever I read my script for this show, Jordan, I'm never surprised. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. How? I understand presidents like need speechwriters. I understand that. But how did we get to a point where it's so normalized that you literally don't even give your own input? Like you don't like there's no requirement for you having any (laughs) gift of gab or command of the english language whatever i don't mean to say english and make it all nationalistic like that because america doesn't have an official language but it's like fucking grasp of your first language yeah right um yeah it's just completely insane to me uh anyway moving on to the next headline the officer who has been charged with murdering george floyd has been given a bail of 1.25 million dollars that happened on monday this is for Derek Chauvin, 19-year veteran in the force. He, he had his initial hearing uh, at the fortified Hennepin County Courthouse on a video feed. So, 
that is now what his bail is set at, and that's incredibly. All right. Um, I mean, I don't really have a reference for that sort of thing, I guess, but that's a lot of money that I don't anticipate he's going to post. I would have remanded him without bail. He could probably raise that money because he's a cop. Yeah. But, um, or a former cop, I should say. Uh, uh, but it is what it is, you know? Yeah. I mean, I hope to God that that doesn't happen, but that's what it's set at now. Um, and then finally, this is a, oh, and he's facing up to 40 years in prison is his sentencing, the sentencing guidelines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As are the other three for because they face the same sentence Mm -hmm. so yeah um final final story this is a so defund the police is a phrase that has made people you know that are maybe not as educated on the roots of the phrase and the movement quite uncomfortable and an author named Christy E. Lopez wrote this piece in Washington Post called Defund the Police. Here's what that really means. And it's an amazing, amazing article. So I'm not going to try to rehash her words in mine. Instead, I'm just going to take this opportunity to read a couple paragraphs from that and encourage you to read it yourselves to give that uh, some airtime. So here we go. To fix policing, we must first recognize how much we have come to over-rely on law enforcement. We turn to the police in situations where years of experience and common sense tell us that their involvement is unnecessary and can make things worse. We ask police to take accident reports, respond to people who have overdosed, and arrest rather than cite people who might have intentionally or not passed a counterfeit $20 bill. We call police to rouse homeless people from corners and doorsteps, resolve verbal squabbles between family members and strangers alike, and arrest children for behavior that once would have been handled as a school disciplinary issue. Police themselves often complain about having to do too much, including handling social problems for which they are ill-equipped. Some have been vocal about the need to decriminalize social problems and take police out of the equation. It is clear that we must reimagine the role they play in public safety. Reimagine the role. I think that is one of the most important sentences in this. Reimagine the role they play in public safety. Defunding and abolition probably means something different from what you are thinking. For most proponents, defunding the police does not mean zeroing out budgets for public safety, and police abolition does not mean that police will disappear overnight, or perhaps ever. Defunding the police means shrinking the scope of police responsibilities and shifting most of what government does to keep us safe to entities that are better equipped to meet that need. It means investing more in mental health care and housing and expanding the use of community mediation and violence interruption programs. Police abolition means reducing with the vision of eventually eliminating our reliance on policing to secure our public safety. It means recognizing that criminalizing addiction and poverty, making 10 million arrests per year and mass incarceration have not provided the public safety we want and never will. The abolition language is important because it reminds us that policing has been the primary vehicle for using violence to perpetuate the unjustified white control over the bodies and lives of black people that has been with us since slavery. That aspect of policing must be literally abolished. It's a really, really good piece. Read it. Share it. We've had people hit us up on Twitter asking, you know, like, what does this mean? Um, and I think that that's, mm-hmm. that this is... 
this is a really good article. And it's also important to know, too, that that phrase means, you know, different things to different people. But in general, I feel like from what I, a white person, uh, has gathered from following leaders in this movement, that if you could shrink it all down into, you know, one piece that explains the, the meaning behind it, it would be what's exemplified in, in that article. So read it. Yeah, it is really good. And I, I recommend you check it out. And I also recommend if you see anybody on your socials saying uh, Democrats want to defund the police, just ask them if they if they know what it means by when they say defund the police, if they if they if they understand, you know, if they know what that means, say it in a nice way. It'd be like, hey, are, do you know what they mean when they say defund the police? Because I'm I, I don't know that you do. Otherwise, you would probably agree with it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like you said, a lot of police agree with it. They do too much. Uh, I know uh, one of our friends at Bad Libs pod uh, said, um, oh, my God, uh, I'm about to be murdered. Call the guy who handles the stop signs. You know, right? <laughs> like, just it just doesn't make that much sense, um, and it's also hard uh, for me, specifically as a white person, to see what's wrong with the way the police are being utilized because it doesn't offend me. Do you know? Yeah. And um, and I do. I want everyone to know because I know a lot of you have strong opinions about the wording. Uh, I also have an opinion, however. Uh, I think for me right now, and this is, I can only speak for myself, that I want to be prudent in who I tell what language should use be used for what. I don't think, I, I want to hear, um, I think I want to hear from other people's, vo- I want to hear other people's voices on this instead of my own, because this isn't really about me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also just want to say, you know, like... Talking about not seeing sort of the more negative aspects personally, even something like citations, like speeding tickets, it's a whole system that is literally the the department (laughs) counts on it. Yeah, the department counts on it and it is a net they cast across all people with the intention of pulling them into a system. Yeah, to pay for itself and then also even better... They hope that they can catch and retain people in that system for as long as possible and keep these people. Essentially, you know, these people have SDPD on their payroll for their entire lives sometimes because they get a ticket and maybe they can't pay the ticket and maybe, you know, they they didn't show up for course or something. They didn't have like adequate whatever guidance on that or something and then they wind up getting their license suspended they wind up getting a bench warrant out they wind up getting you know just profiled and mistreated consistently and and Mm -hmm. and when you're white you can experience some of that but when you're black it is so much different i i again i have that one fucking experience of spending a night in jail which like i keep bringing up because it's all my privileged ass has to say but like it was the worst thing I've ever seen in terms of treatment of human beings. So even something as simple as this, like, citation culture, it's all, like, it is, that is not public safety shit. If some fucker is driving 200 miles an hour on the freeway, yeah, someone should probably tell him to stop. But you think about all the people that are getting 
you know, these citations for useless shit, a lot of times they didn't even do the thing when they're black or they're not white. They just get pulled over and given that bullshit excuse. And the fact that that system even exists and cops are allowed to lie, rely on that system to unlawfully pull somebody over and pull them into the system using this net. It's just like the whole, so much of it is fucked up outside of police murdering unarmed black men and women. Yeah. And, and let me, let me leave you with this thought too, Jordan. Um, when I think about what the definition of a, a wasteful bureaucracy is, where we are wasting our tax dollars, a bureaucracy becomes wasteful when you go from 50% to 51% of the work that you do in your job is to simply maintain the bureaucracy. And to me, that is a lot of times what uh, is happening with policing is, uh, you know, you, you've come, you've tipped over into that threshold where now more than half of your time is spent just maintaining your position in what you do that is when a bureaucracy becomes wasteful it's wasteful to taxpayer dollars and and it's you know like you said a tiny tip of the iceberg in this massive systematic racism that exists yeah in our system and so. y- you know what it's like to see bureaucracy and all of its flaws especially so mm. and in other areas mm-hmm. outside of law enforcement as well so yeah I, I i certainly do and so yeah when you get to a point where most of what you're doing is to make enough money to keep doing what you're doing. That's while that works for a small business, that's, that's not what you want the government to be doing. So um, there are, like you said, there are resources that are better equipped to handle things like that. And in, in the instances of the stuff that you're talking about, do we need to handle it at all? Uh, all right. Thank you, uh, Jordan, for that news. Um uh, I appreciate uh, I appreciate all that reporting and and um, I I hope our listeners show us a little grace for running a little long but we you know we did have a lot of news to get to today in the A block so uh, I will be covering a few other headlines uh, right after this break and then I'll be talking to Andrew Torres about a new filing uh, that has to do with Michael Flynn you you're gonna you're you're gonna laugh we're all gonna laugh uh, it'll be a good time so everybody stick around we'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or that is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Everybody does need some help from time to time. Uh, I've sought help from my PTS. I've had a lot of anxiety during this shutdown, uh, and uh, therapy has really helped me. And I highly recommend seeking help when you need it. Just reach out. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's absolutely wonderful, and I really recommend it. And BetterHelp Services is available for clients worldwide. Uh, and they have a broad range of expertise in their counselor network. And a lot of that times that's not available in your like area where you live. And so this that's why it's so great that it's online. You can log into your account anytime, send a message to your counselor. You get a timely and thoughtful response. And if you want, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you never have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with uh, traditional therapy, which I don't like. And, you know, we're trying to stay home as much as we can right now. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you want to. And it's more affordable 
available than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. So visit their website and read testimonials like this one by C.H., who says about her counselor, It took two sessions for me to completely trust her, and I don't trust anyone. She makes me feel safe, seen, and heard. She is kind and not judgmental. I feel comfortable telling her about my life because I know she genuinely wants to help me live better. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners, you can get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Here's some news from under the radar today. The U.S. is demanding Britain hand over Prince Andrew to answer questions in the Jeffrey Epstein investigation as the Department of Justice has formally told the U.K. that the Duke of York is now caught up in a criminal probe for the first time. It's the first time they've told him. I don't know if it's the first time he's been caught up in a criminal probe. I assume so. Uh, The request, initiated by federal prosecutors in the Manhattan U.S. Attorney's Office, is part of a mutual legal assistance treaty request, which is a form of cooperation between countries for assistance in the investigation of prosecuting uh, criminal offenses. And this request was submitted to the U.K.'s home office, and this is according to a source familiar with the case. A spokesman for the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, Nick Bias says, uh, I cannot publicly comment on communications with foreign governments uh, on investigative matters, including confirming or denying the very existence of such communications. So no comment. That's what he says. And in a statement Monday, Prince Andrew's legal team said that any pursuit of an application for mutual legal assistance would be disappointing. Yes, very disappointing. Uh, They said the Justice Department had told them, quote, that the Duke... Uh, is not and has never been a target of a criminal investigation into Epstein, and that Prince Andrew has on at least three occasions this year offered his assistance as a witness to the Department of Justice in the United States, uh, criticizing what they describe as a breach of confidentiality on the part of the Justice Department. They said that in claiming Prince Andrew hasn't been cooperative, they are perhaps seeking publicity rather than accepting the assistance proffered. Um, Though Epstein died in August 2019 while awaiting a trial on federal charges that he sexually abused underage girls and ran a sex trafficking ring, prosecutors have continued to pursue investigations of people who they believe helped Epstein carry out an alleged multi-year sex trafficking operation. Prince Andrew has come under public pressure to explain his relationship with Epstein and allegations by one of his accusers, Virginia Giuffrey. Uh, who who has alleged that she was forced into sexual encounters with the prince uh, while she was underage. Um, I thought he was the Duke of York. I guess Prince is Duke of York. Uh, Berman said at a news conference in January outside Epstein's Manhattan mansion, to date, Prince Andrew has provided zero cooperation. Berman is Southern District of New York. Almost two months later, Berman said Prince Andrew had completely shut the door on voluntarily cooperating with this investigation and said his office was considering its options. But Prince Andrew's legal team responded Monday that these statements were inaccurate and they should not have been made. Um, And Republican Grassley, Grassley is holding up uh, two of President Donald Trump's nominations until the administration explains why a pair of inspectors general were recently fired. I'm placing holds on two admin noms until I get reasons for firing. Two agency watchdogs as required by law. Um, not first time I've raised alarm. When admits flout IG protection law, Obama did the same and got the same earful from me. Uh, all I want is a reason for firing these people. Checks and balances. That's how Grassley tweets, just so you know. Grassley, who's the chairman of the Senate Whistleblower Protection Caucus, Uh, Quote, is refusing to advance certain nominees until the White House provides adequate reasons for the termination of the intelligence community and State Department inspectors general. Uh, That's according to a press release from Grassley's office. 
Uh, Grassley's office also confirmed he has placed holds on the nominations of Christopher C. Miller to be the director of National Counterterrorism Center and Marshall Billingsley to be the Undersecretary of State for Arms Control and International Security. Officials uh, directly related to the agencies where watchdogs were ousted. Um, So that's why he's holding those specific two noms. Um, The senator's office also noted that the Inspector General Reform Act 2008 requires Trump to provide Congress with a written explanation. (laughs) You want Trump to to write write a thing. That's funny. Uh, written explanation. Um, you can submit it in crayon, I assume, at least 30 days before removing an inspector general in order to prevent politically motivated terminations. That's what inspectors general are for. They're, they don't really serve at the pleasure of the president. Uh, they're there to provide a check on uh, fr- fraud, waste, and abuse in the executive branch of the government. And so that is why the Inspector General Reform Act of 2008 requires the president to provide an explanation uh, you, you don't, you know, maybe that's all you have to do is provide an explanation. Maybe you don't have to justify it with, you know, uh, cause, because I don't see that in here. Although I know that they were trying to, we're trying to put a little more teeth in this law by saying that you have to have cause, but that's not, I don't think that that's happened yet. He just has to come up with an explanation. The problem is he probably just can't write it. Uh, and he has to do that 30 days before removing an inspector general. Um, and uh, before we get to the interview today, we have some new polling out. First, Trump's approval rating has tanked to just 38 percent, with 57 percent disapproving of the job that he's doing. That's the lowest in a year and a half and a seven point drop from last month. The Mueller report gave him about a one point drop. Impeachment gave him, I think, a three point hit. Just to put that in perspective, this is seven points in the last month. And uh, in another poll, 80% of Americans think the country is out of control and 76% say it's headed in the wrong direction. You can't get 80% of Americans to agree that uh, chocolate milk doesn't come from brown cows. So this is amazing. A broad majority of Americans say the peaceful protests happening across the country uh, after police violence against African Americans are justified. 84% say they're justified. And about 27% say violent protests in response to police harming or killing African Americans is justified. Both figures are higher than they were uh, when similar protests came up in the fall of 2016. 67% at that time saw peaceful protests as justified. Now it's 84. And just 14 felt violent pro- protests were, and now it's 27. 63% of Americans disapprove of Trump's handling of race relations. 63 seems low. And 65% say his response to the protest has been more harmful than helpful. Two-thirds of America uh, of Americans call racism a big problem. And the same number believe that 67 percent, two thirds, believe the justice system favors whites over blacks. And Trump is losing in uh, losing ground in head to heads against Biden. Among registered voters, Trump is 14 points behind Biden now, who just this past Saturday secured the necessary 1991 delegates to clinch the Democratic nomination. Uh, But, yeah, he's leading 55 to 41 now in national polling. Uh, Voters give Biden roughly two to one advantage over Trump on handling race relations. Uh, 63 percent, they uh, feel Biden would do a better job. Thirty one chose Trump Uh, among black voters. Biden is strongly preferred. Ninety one percent say he would do a better job on the issue of race. Four percent would uh, feel Trump would. And by the way, there's a three point six percent margin of error. Uh, Biden also outpaces Trump overall in handling coronavirus, 55 to 41, and leading the nation in times of crisis, 55 to 41. Trump narrowly tops Biden as the most trusted to handle the economy. 51 to 46. 
It's the only where it's the only place he beat him. Support for Trump is scarce outside of his own party. Among independents, 52 percent say that Biden uh, they back Biden for the presidency versus 41 for Trump. That's bad for Trump because he's going to need a lot of independence. Only 37 percent of independents say they approve his handling of the presidency and 68 percent feel his response to the protest has been more harmful than beneficial. All that being said, ignore these polls and act like we're 20 points down. Right? Right. And we have an update in the Michael Flynn case. And joining me to discuss it is real-life lawyer and co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast, Andrew Torres. Andrew, thanks for speaking with me today. Oh, AJ, thanks for having me back. Yes. Uh, this I really wanted to get you in on this discussion because I feel like when when you and I chat, sometimes we're able to figure things out. And this one has me... This is just bizarre. Um, As we all know, Flynn entered into a plea agreement with the government, the Department of Justice, the Mueller team, uh, by by agreeing to plead guilty for lying to the FBI one count and cooperating with prosecutors. And he did that in exchange for, among other things, not facing charges for lobbying on behalf of Turkey without registering as a foreign agent, as the Foreign Agent Registration Act requires. His partner, his partner in crime, literally, uh, was a guy was a guy named Bijan Rafikian, aka Bijan Kian. He was charged. He went to trial. The jury found him guilty, but the district court judge threw out his conviction. And now, the Department of Justice this is the this is the new part is appealing the thrown out conviction in a fifty three page filing to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. And I need you to talk me through this because I don't understand how how the Department of Justice can pursue charges against Flynn's co-conspirator. And, uh, you know, we'll get into this a little bit later in the interview about him being a co-conspirator in this filing. That's going to be later on. But how I right now I want to talk about how the DOJ can pursue charges against Flynn's co-conspirator while simultaneously trying to exonerate Flynn for the crime that he copped to in order to enter into a plea agreement to dismiss that charge, not dismiss the charge, but not be charged with the FARA violation. How can those two things exist at the same time? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack with your question there. And all of it stems from the fact that what's truly unprecedented here is the government's conduct with respect to Michael Flynn. And when I say unprecedented, like, right, lawyers like to toss that word around, but like, I literally mean that in the sense of without precedent. And I, and by that, I mean, I have read every case that the rule that this was filed under is rule 48A of the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure. I have now read every case in the District of Columbia, in the D.C. Circuit, and about a hundred cases from other circuits uh, involving Rule 48A. And I can tell you, never, there, there are zero cases in which the government has ever dismissed all charges against a defendant who has pled guilty, right? There are a couple of corner cases in which um, you know, the, the defendant will plead guilty to multiple counts and then at some point later on, right? Like, so, so for example, in one, um, a, a, a defendant is a Ninth Circuit case. Um, a defendant had pled guilty to both receiving and possessing child pornography. And then in between the plea and sentencing, the Ninth Circuit ruled that you couldn't be convicted on both of those counts because the elements overlap too much. Um, and so then the government moved to dismiss one of the counts, right? But 
But what they're doing with Flynn is something the government has never, ever done in the history of the Republic. Have they even asked? Uh, what do you mean? Like, have they ever been, like, in, in terms of, they've never sought to do this before, as far as I can tell. I gotcha. So they never even sought to do it. It's not that the, the courts never granted it. It's that they've never sought to do it uh, in these, where, where the, where, you know, they pleaded guilty. Um, yeah. And, 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 and the reason for that is, and this is something that like, it, it's, it took me a little bit to get a handle on because the, the Trump loyalists and Bill Barr and Tim Shea have really tried in the courts to control the narrative to say that this is a prosecutorial decision. Um, but, but they're a hundred percent wrong, right? Like if you, if you read the cases at all, Right. The dividing line is that the executive branch, the DOJ, has supremacy when it comes to the question of whether to charge somebody or not. Right. But once they make that decision and they decided to charge Michael Flynn uh, and that person pleads guilty, then you shift over to sentencing. And in sentencing, the judiciary has primacy. Right. Like imagine if the if the situation were um the, the situation we, we actually had in August of 2019, right, in which uh, Judge Sullivan convened a hearing. This was right after uh, Flynn fired Covington and Burling and hired Sidney Powell, right? Um, he was actually still represented by CNB at this hearing, which I guess it took Sidney a, a while to read the briefs, which I, I shouldn't I, I should have said that in a mocking voice. It you know, takes lawyers a bit of time to get up to speed. Um, but, but, but the judge basically said, hey, I can sentence you now. Or if you're still cooperating, I can sentence you later, right? And and there were some really significant developments. And I mean, you covered that that hearing at the time. Um, the the line prosecutor Brandon Van Grack would not say under oath that that Michael Flynn was cooperating in the in the Bijan Kian case. Um, what what he said was, it, 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 this is the most lawyerly statement ever, uh, and I mean that as a compliment, Brandon. Call me. Um, He said, uh, it is conceivable that Mr. Flynn could potentially cooperate in the future. (laughs) Which is different from the last times when he, you know, before Sidney Powell joined the party. It was like, oh, he's cooperating. He's cooperating. Uh, He is a star witness in in the Bijan Rafikian case. Um, I don't know if the Bijan Rafikian case is the only case he was cooperating in. but I would I would guess not because you know why would you roll Flynn to get Bijan Kian? Um, right, right. <laughs> but you know, but far be it from me to to guess what's under uh, you know shit that's filed under seal or why Judge Sullivan wanted him to have be looked at for treason. Beyond the point, uh, but you know. Oh, can, can can I can I sidebar on that for for thirty seconds? Thirty seconds. Okay, great. Put, put me on the clock. Um, <laughs> every prosecutor I talked to when Michael Flynn was given the opportunity to plead to one Section 1001 count of making a false statement in an investigation, right? Sentencing guidelines, zero to six months, described it as a sweetheart deal. And I talked to a half dozen prosecutors and they all said what you just said right there, which was, there's no way you make a deal with... Michael Flynn, national security advisor, if 
Michael Flynn can't give you somebody better than the president's national security advisor. So, yeah, your intuition is correct on that. And we've all forgotten that, that the whole point of the original deal was to get Flynn to roll on somebody higher up. And obviously that never happened. Okay, how'd I do on 30 seconds? You did great. And real quick follow up question on on what you said there. Uh, Well, now I know I just give you a time limit and then we're all set. Um, No, uh, (laughs) I know you and I are you and I are the worst, but uh, no, we're the best. Uh, When when um, we're talking about how you know, it, it, uh, sort of Barr and Trump and Trump loyalists are saying that the FBI was about to close their counterintelligence or their investigation into Flynn. And so uh, getting him into being questioned in the first place was under some non-material pretense. Uh, maybe does I mean, if if they're trying to roll him on a bigger fish, does it matter if they're closing the case against him if who they're trying to target's case is still open? And he lies to them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it, it, it's a great question. And it is part of the uh, preposterous nature of the government's 48A brief here, because in every standard prosecution, right, like, a, you know, street crime kinds of prosecutions, right? You understand that when you offer a defendant a plea deal uh, and you include things to which they are not pleading, that that is part of the inducement, right? And it was very, very clear that the reasons that Mueller brought in Flynn, A, extended beyond uh, the specific investigation that that we now know was coming to a close. Um, but, but, But let me also say... Coming to a close internally is not the same as, say, moving to dismiss a case with prejudice, which is what the government is doing here now, right? When the government says, we're going to dismiss these charges with prejudice, that means we're done, it's over, it's closed, and no one and no 2021 Democratic administration-appointed prosecutor uh, can possibly bring these charges ever again. That's what with prejudice means, right? Like it means prejudice to us, the government, as in in our filing. Um, Closing an investigation just means, okay, we've stopped looking here. And the the DOJ guidelines explicitly allow you to reopen the investigation if you find additional evidence. So, you know, this this has been treated like some kind of, you know, smoking gun by the QAnon crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know anybody that reads it that way at all. Anybody, any lawyer, any honest lawyer. <laughs> Sorry, I had, well, to, I had to mend that statement three times. Well, but yeah, who, who reads it that way? Because you don't. Because it just means, okay, we didn't have evidence at that time. Oh, by the way, Michael Flynn gave us a whole bunch of evidence. That's yeah, totally and- normal. And not only that, but maybe the case is closed in Flynn because you're not going to prosecute him for the Logan Act because he tried to get sanctions all weirded out. But you are still investigating, I don't know, Donald Trump. And you can still question Michael Flynn about that. And if he lies to you, that is a fucking crime. All right. So. uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And and you don't arrest the mayor uh, to roll his drug dealer. You you arrest the drug dealer to get the mayor. So it's just it's just the way that it goes. All right. So uh, I I have more questions for you because I want to get into some of the uh, interesting details of this fifty three page filing um, from the Eastern District of Virginia. So will you stay with me through this break? Absolutely. All right. Great. We will be. Uh, right back with uh, more from Andrew Torres and his fantastic podcast, Opening Arguments. So stick around. 
Hey everybody, this Helping the Daily Beans is brought to you by Ancestry DNA. Uh, as you know, there are many paths to finding your family story, uh, but whichever way you choose, tracing your family generations back with a family tree or uncovering your ethnicity with Ancestry DNA, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. An Ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from, uh, and Ancestry's billions of online records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. Ancestry DNA can reveal ethnic origins and provide historical details that bring unique family stories to life. And Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you what countries you're from, but it can pinpoint specific regions within them, which gives you an insightful geographic detail about your family history. And you can trace the paths of your recent ancestors and learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world as the generations passed. No other DNA test delivers such a unique interactive experience. Um, you could find a famous relative like I did. I found out Harry Reeser in the 1920s New York banjo comedy band leader is my is my ancestor um i also found some uh military records of my great grandfather um so it's just whatever you find it's, it's going to change the way that you look at your family history after all the story of your family is the story of you so it changes the way you look at yourself too and so i really really recommend learning more about your roots and starting making discoveries with ancestry so grab an ancestry dna kit and start a free trial to amplify your discoveries with ancestry's billions of records start exploring your family story today head to my url at ancestry.com dailybeans to get your ancestry dna kit and start your free trial that's ancestry.com All right, everybody, welcome back. We are talking to Andrew Torres, co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast, real-life lawyer, friend of mine. And we are talking about the filing, recent filing, last night, yesterday, in the Flynn case, uh, where, not the Flynn case, but the DOJ is wanting to go forward (laughs) to prosecute Bijan Rafikian, who Flynn committed a crime with, two felonies, uh, FARA violations. Uh, and, And I'm not just saying that. That's not just AG going, hey, beans on him committing FARA violations. In this 53-page filing, I've parsed it. They go through all the reasons the charges against Rafikian should not be thrown out, saying the district court here adopted erroneously high legal standards, rewrote Congress's statute, and failed to adequately defer to the jury's role. It's legally erroneous acquittal and new trial decisions and its errors in reviewing the evidentiary record warrant reversal so you fucked up on everything in this and we're the doj (laughs) and we are going forward with this case but even on uh but the even go on in this filing to argue that flynn was a member of the conspiracy they also argue that rafikian lied when he said he was not part of any relationship between flynn and turkey so If the Department of Justice is arguing that Flynn did not materially lie to the FBI about his call with Kislyak, how can they argue that Flynn did commit FARA felonies that he was never charged with and not also charge Flynn for those crimes after he violated his plea agreement? How can you argue in a briefing that he committed felonies that he hasn't been charged with? He's blown up his plea agreement. How can they now not charge him with those felonies? So the answer to that is I don't know. Okay, but it's not it's not I don't know because I'm not a good lawyer. I'm <laughs> I'm an excellent lawyer. It's it's I don't know because I I I don't think the law permits this. It's fucking bananas shenanigans, right? I'm not crazy. You're not you're not crazy and and let's try and unpack kind of everything from there because th- this is there's a lot layered on top of here. Um <laughs> The, the, 
I, the bottom line with respect to to Rafiki and 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 you and I talked about this as soon as you know. I mean, <laughs> the, the reply brief was filed on a Sunday, which is a little weird. Uh, and you know, you and I were were chatting about it like you do. We were joking that that you were the only human person I could have this conversation with. <laughs> <laughs> and our text messages uh, were pretty, yeah. I like it, it was it was fun, <laughs> but but ultimately, I've come around to the position that if if it were not for the Michael Flynn proceedings, um, and you can see a little bit of a heavy hand, uh, uh, you know, either self censoring or censoring from you know Tim Shea or or, or Bill Barr. Um, if not for the Flynn stuff, this would be a perfectly ordinary prosecution, right? So let, let's uh, let's try and get there. Um, but but in order to get there, again, we have to go back through something that, like I said, has never happened in the history of the Republic. So we time travel back. It's August of 2019. Michael Flynn uh, appears before Judge Sullivan, um, reiterates uh, in, in that hearing as well, by the way, that he has voluntarily pled guilty. Um, and the judge, a- after getting that kind of lukewarm response from Van Grack, says, you know what? It's my belief um, you've committed serious crimes here, uh, Mr. Flynn, uh, but it's my belief before sentencing that a judge should give everybody the fullest and most uh, expansive opportunity to cooperate with the government and maybe atone for some, for their crimes in some way before I sentence them. Yeah, and sort of tongue-in-cheek as he's sitting there staring at Sidney Powell. I mean, he had to know <laughs> he had to know this was about to just blow up to shit. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, it, Judge Sullivan is, is a very smart guy. I, I, I'm sure he saw he saw as much of this coming as any human being could, which you know still got to be like ten percent. Why didn't he just sentence him right then? I think he thought about it. I I, I really did. Um, uh, but 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 I think Judge Sullivan believes in that principle, and I think he was looking at it and going like, "Look, you know, at the end of the day, um, you can see Judge Sullivan uh, repeatedly." Um, musing on the record whether he was going to go above a guideline sentence right and advising um advising van grack that uh you know while he took the government's position under advisement which was zero to six months uh that you know he might go above and beyond that advising uh michael flynn you may face jail time um you know sort of drilling down on van grack like is the government's position probation or is the government's position the low end of the range that includes probation and got the latter answer. Um, but, but in any event, August of 2019, um, uh, Sullivan says, uh, to, to Flynn, I'm going to let you try and do the right thing before we come back. Then we fast forward to January of this year and we learn in the government's supplemental uh, sentencing men- uh, memorandum uh, that over that time period, not only did Michael Flynn not cooperate and render assistance, but the one case that the government at that time thought he might be helpful in was the Bijan Kian case. And his conduct in there was described by the government as directly in opposition to the government's in, uh, uh, efforts to prosecute uh, Mr. Rafikman. So what, what happened was the government in, intended to call Michael Flynn as its star witness in the Bijan Khan case. Sidney Powell comes in. Uh, all of a sudden, Flynn changes his story. 
Um, they've got to disclose that. That's a potential Brady violation. So they disclose that to uh, Rafikian's counsel. By the way, it's astonishing when you look at the pleadings in the Rafikian case. At this point in time, everybody hates Sidney Powell, right? Um, Even though she's ostensibly, and she's tweeting out like, you know, it's a travesty of justice that, you know, Bijan Kian is bad. But like his lawyers hate her just as much as the government, right? Because at least previously, like, they had prepped for Flynn as the government's witness, and now they didn't know what the hell he was saying, right? Um, so, uh, uh, so, so you have you have the astonishing confluence of events of Michael Flynn originally going to appear as a witness for the prosecution, um, starts acting crazy, then the government rationally decides holy shit, can't call this guy as a witness anymore, Uh, and then says, all right, but we are going to use you as an unindicted co-conspirator to authenticate this piece of evidence, right? And as per your cooperation agreement, we need you to do that. And Flynn not only refused to do that, but then filed a motion to intervene on behalf of the defense in the Rafikian case, right? And that was what prompted... Bijan Kian's lawyers to say, which sure looks like Michael Flynn is trying to roll back his plea deal. What the hell is going on here? And I'm wondering if at this point Van Grack isn't wanting to then charge Flynn for these FARA violations and, and somebody is not allowing him to do that. I mean, I, I can't imagine that that Van Grack wouldn't be pushing for that. Uh, if he if he went from a cooperating witness to a co-conspirator. And then I also don't understand, and maybe you can answer this, why the judge, was it Judge Trenga? I can't remember, why he threw the conviction out to say there wasn't enough evidence. Is it because Flynn didn't testify? It, 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 two, two questions there. Let me, let me respond to the first one first, because I'm going to break a little bit of news on your show. Um, because your instinct there that... Van Grack has something very, very, a very interesting story to tell um, that is buttressed by his behavior throughout the case. And the fact that uh, the literally not not the day after the day that the government that Tim Shea came in and filed the 48 a motion to dismiss charges against Flynn, Van Grack resigned in that case. Um, you may or may not know that Judge Sullivan has set a briefing schedule for the submission of outside amicus. Uh, on the question of whether the court ought to grant the government's Rule 48A motion. And I'm pleased to tell you that I'm filing an amicus brief in that case. Um, I'm super excited about it. And the the gravamen of the relief, of of part of the relief uh, that I'm dangling in front of the court, that nobody else has really suggested is, hey, hold the motion sub curia, right? Don't rule on it hold an evidentiary hearing, bring in Van Grack, <laughs> find out what he knows, right? And and it is 100% clear that the district court has the power to do that. So that brief is due Wednesday at noon. I'm, I'm, I'm hard at work on it as we speak, take a little break to do the show. So it's kind of why this is on my mind. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like it, it is, I, I share that instinct with you that, um, that there is a story to be told here. And a U.S. district court judge is the kind of person that can get somebody to tell that story. So um, 
let's keep let's let's keep our eyes open for that. Then you asked why did the judge in the Eastern District of Virginia um, enter a directed verdict over the jury's verdict in the Bijan Khan case? Um, and 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 there I think I mean again a let's point out how unusual that is, right? So what happened was government expected that they would that they would call Flynn as their star witness. Uh, that didn't happen. They expected they would at, le- at least use him to authenticate a key piece of evidence. That didn't happen. Uh, he then appeared, you know, moved to intervene on behalf of the defense. Um, the jury convicted Keon anyway, um, and then and then the judge uh, was sort of had it up to here with these shenanigans, um, and and had expressed um, a significant amount of. Uh, of skepticism about the case along the way, which again, like, I, I, I'm sympathetic to that, right? Like, y- y- we're looking at this from the top-down corruption, you know, Donald Trump perspective. Um, but, but you know, he was just a, a judge in a courtroom trying to conduct a trial. And yeah, like he's as he's as angry as anybody would be to say, oh, the government says, oh, we're we're going to introduce this person as a way. Well, never mind. No, we're not. Oh, no, he's going to appear for the defense like that's that's crazy. And you have every right as as a judge to sort of say um, that seems weird. Now, okay. so I would this not is... have gone so far as to enter a directed verdict over the jury's verdict. But 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 I don't cast too much shade in that direction. Go ahead. And, and this is last September. Uh, but the judge, Trenga, it, it was Judge Trenga. He did say um, Keon could face a new trial if prosecutors are successful in an appeal of his decision. And we all went, oh, well, that's not going to fucking happen. But here <laughs> it's happening. Yeah. Um, it, it And so important thing, government noticed the appeal, right? And so typically when you have a jury verdict, right, you, you, the only party that would appeal uh, would be, right, the criminal defendant in the event that they're convicted. This is that rare situation that turns it on its head uh, because you have a jury judgment of conviction and then you're asking, and then you have the trial court judge saying that's legally insufficient as a matter of law, and so you can present a clean legal question to uh, the Fourth Circuit, because uh, it's coming out of the Eastern District of Virginia. So the clean legal question to the Eastern District of Virginia is, was the judge correct? Was, was, the, was the evidence legally sufficient to return a guilty verdict? So that appeal gets noticed um, prior to the government's motion to dismiss in the Flynn case, right? So again, totally normal, right? It's just, yeah, you would look at it. The the line prosecutor here, G. Zachary Terwilliger, uh, the best name in the DOJ, um, and a, a longstanding uh, inside joke over at opening arguments. Um, yeah, and 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 sorry to interrupt, but if it's, if 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 G. Zachary Terwilliger sounds familiar to our listeners, they'll remember I nicknamed him G. Willikers. Uh, and he was the U.S. attorney that put Chelsea Manning in jail for not cooperating in the Assange es- espionage case. Um, G. Willikers is a Federalist, but he's not a bar stooge, as far as I know, like the D.C. attorney Tim Shea or Sherwin is, who's now the D.C. acting whatever the fuck uh, over there in musical chair land of the D.C. U.S. attorney's office. Um, did I say magical? I meant musical. Um but it's it could be both. <laughs> it's bananas, is what it is. But I, uh, you know, so here here we are with with this, you know, Eastern District of Virginia guy, and he is bringing the charges back. And the judge was like, "Hey, 
I'm not going to, he was basically like, it's not going to hurt my feelings if you do that. But if Keon gets a new trial, uh, you need to make sure the jury is given adequate instructions about Flynn's role because it was all facocta this time. And so just to sort of err on the side of uh, defendant's rights or whatever, you know, and to make sure that this is ironclad, I'm just going to throw this out, try again. And again, like I said, we didn't think that they would try again because of Bill Barr. But here is G. Willikers um, filing a 53-page thing, calling Flynn a co-conspirator. Three, He's mentioned 10 times in this brief and and saying he, you know— he did these felonies and uh but i mean to get to the to the main question here how does uh g willikers not charge uh flynn i guess that's a dc thing and the d in the dc is tim shea or sherwin now tim shea is over at the dea spying on protesters um so we just the dc circuit it, or not the D.C. Circuit, but the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office just isn't going to bring these charges. That's just what's happening is what it seems like. And I think you're right. And I'm so glad you're filing this amicus brief because uh, Van Grack needs to get in there and say what the hell is going on. Yeah, I I, I agree with all of that. Um, and, and I would add that j- just as a distinction, what got filed on Sunday was actually the reply brief. Right. The the appeal was noted months ago. Right. But but what makes this unique is that the first set of briefing that went through went through before the government filed its Rule 48A motion. And you can see, as you point out, there are 10 specific references uh, to to General Flynn in, in the reply brief. They are what I would say, again, as a lawyer who has been in this kind of position before, um, it, it, it is very clear to me that uh, G. Zachary Terwilliger needed to agonize. How, how would I put it that way? Agonized over how to include the references to Flynn here, right? Each and every one um, is you have to parse incredibly carefully uh, because he did not want to give ammunition uh, to a potential you know, future prosecution of, of Flynn uh, in in D.C., uh, you know, to uh, the, you know, cadre, you know, to the uh, court appointed amicus Judge Gleason uh, in uh, who who was appointed by Judge Sullivan to, to take a look and, and argue for the other side. Um, it's it's super cautious. Right. So you have things like, you know, we the the government is now is not arguing that this evidence means X, but we're arguing that we're entitled to draw every possible inference because of the nature of this appeal. Right. Oh, whatever. Here's somebody who just as far as I can tell. And again, you know, we've said this. Uh, it, it, um, I have to I have to revise my. My description. I used to say like, oh, this is a, you know, Republican lifer, not a Trump loyalist. Uh, But then that was a big swing and a miss on Bill Barr. Mm. Um, uh, But but that's the kind of thing I would say about G. Zachary Terwilliger. Well, here's 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 what I think. I think Van Grack wanted to prosecute in D.C. I think he was told he wasn't allowed to. Then that Flynn uh, dismissal came out from the Department of Justice. Van Grack and everybody else quits and says, fuck you, I'm out. And then we have now we've got uh, Terwilliger filing this uh, now that maybe it's a little bit safer. But I bet he went to Bill Barr saying we can't not prosecute this case because 
legally speaking, Bijan Rafikian fucking broke the law two times, felony Farah violations. And Barr said, okay, but don't you dare mention our Rule 48 filing uh, and our motion to dismiss. And he went, and that's kind of where we are now. And I think that your remedy in your amicus brief of bringing Van Gracken will, will, I think, will clear all that up. Well, let's hope that happens. Uh, and, and I want to say, I think you've parsed that exactly correctly, right? And, and it's, it's, it's incredibly weird. But, but yeah, um, Kian doesn't have anybody's ear inside the Trump administration. They don't care about him. Uh, Terwilliger wants to prosecute him because well, that's his job. Uh, and, and I think that, that, you know, if we had secret tapes of that meeting between Terwilliger and Barr, uh, I, I think you'd have 90% of the verbiage down pat. Like, I, I, I think that your insight here is exactly right on. And that's, you know, when you sort of zoom out, right, what we have here is a corner case, right? It's not often that a judge issues a directed verdict, um, but it's not surprising to see that in a case in which, you know, the prosecution star witness changes sides in the middle of the trial, right? I, you could see how that would look weird. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, you have this dynamic of uh, district court, you know, trial judge uh, issuing a directed verdict. And the government always appeals in those cases. Well, yeah. You, if you're the if you're the U.S. attorney, you don't want how how shitty does it look for your team to just oh well we'll just leave that let it lie. Uh, that's not what you do. You 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 set out to prosecute the case. You have a felon, uh, and you are given you. That's what you do, right? I I. I this is just how it goes because otherwise you you know your office looks inept it fucks with your record it's not you can't sleep at night whatever it is <laughs> you know it's just it would be weird to not and and even the judge was like i know you're going to appeal this cuz this is he's a fucking criminal but like you know um just you know i have to throw it out because flynn is a piece of shit so this is just also this is the this is like fucking Dra- high drama i i have in you know you and i have talked about a lot of court cases in the last two and a half years but this i mean the the concord management one was pretty bananas but this is this is <laughs> fucking this is nuts look the the way in which you get here is i i think i think you just described the underlying dynamic usually even people with whom we disagree, right? And again, remember, G. Zachary Terwilliger, Federalist Society guy, like super conservative. We're unlikely to ever agree on anything. But at the end of the day, he's somebody who's there to do his job. And what we've overlaid on top of it is the, the kind of legion of doom of, you know, everybody else who's a Trump executive appointee who's not there to do their job, right? They are just there to advance Trump's agenda. Like you point out, Tim Shea, why the hell is Tim Shea the acting director of the DEA, right? This is not something over which he has any interest or experience. Like, he's not going to do that fucking job. No. He's not interested in actually heading an executive agency, right? Like, it, it, it's... It, it's it's mind boggling, but but this is what happens, right? That like when you have, uh, you know, when you're organizing the government, uh, you know, as a kleptocracy to to see how much you can steal for yourself and how much you can intervene on behalf of your privileged friends, you wind up with intractable contradictions 
like what we have here, which is the government prosecuting a co-conspirator and using as evidence Michael, uh, Michael Flynn as a co-conspirator while maintaining in a separate proceeding that it has no right to bring any charges against Michael Flynn. That is nonsense. And, you know, you don't have to be a lawyer to know that. And I'm not. So that is why I'm glad you're here. <laughs> you, you, I will give you an honorary law degree anytime, anywhere. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, and um, thank you for for helping me talk this out in my head because <sighs> I wouldn't have been able to get to that final scenario, uh, which I developed during this conversation, by the way, of what I think really actually happened uh, with without you. So everybody check out the opening arguments podcast. Andrew Torres, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much. All right, everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the Good News Block and Jordan Coburn. You don't want to miss it. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunsoil CBD. From coffee and supplements to pet treats, CBD is popping up in everything, but it can be confusing and complicated. How can you tell what's good and what's not? And even more importantly, who can you trust? Uh, these were some of the questions that I had to start with. Uh, but Sunsoil CBD had all the answers, because with Sunsoil, you know what is in every bottle and exactly where it came from. It's all transparent. There's no second guessing. They only use ingredients you can understand and trust. Most of their products have just two, organic hemp and organic coconut oil. Uh, transparency and quality control are what sets on soil apart from the rest. They farm all their own hemp in their Green Mountains farms of Vermont. And they extract the CBD themselves, testing for quality and purity every step of the way. They never use pesticides, herbicides, or GMOs because Sunsoil does everything in-house. It keeps their products simple. And they, because they do all that, they can offer the highest quality CBD at unbeatable prices. In fact, Sunsoil products are half the price of other ingestible CBD brands because they do all this themselves in-house. And every Sunsoil product is USDA organic, including their oil drops, soft gels, capsules, and their coconut oil. Uh, I like to put a few oil drops in my morning coffee, sometimes after a workout in one of my smoothies. Uh, I often take a soft gel at night before getting some great sleep. One of the greatest things about Sunsoil is that it is the largest CBD manufacturer to partner with 1% for the planet. Uh, they'll be donating 1% of Sunsoil's annual sales to help environmental nonprofits that do good for people, plants, and our planet. Sunsoil removes all the guesswork by making pure and simple CBD products at unbeatable prices. So get 30% off your first order by going to sunsoil.com slash dailybeans. That's S-U-N-S-O-I-L dot com slash dailybeans for 30% off your first order. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. And joining me today for the good news is Jordan Coburn. Hey, Jordan. Hello. How are you doing <laughs> since the beginning of the show? Good, good. Yes. <laughs> How are you? Good. I'm all right. I'm same, samesies. <laughs> good. Um, we, uh, my understanding is we have a lot of good news and I, I have to say that I'm absolutely, um, just floored by our listeners that, 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 you know, as things seem to get darker and darker, y'all send in more and more good news. So I, we really, really appreciate you. But I think, I think we, you know, I think we all have a, I feel like I have a little more hope now. And so I'm really looking forward to these news stories today. Yeah. My my uh, my faith in people power has largely been restored in so many ways over the last couple months, honestly. Um, but 
kicking it off, first up from Mikey. Mikey says, hey, y'all. I've been an MSW listener since the original kitchen recording days, but this is the first time I'm writing in. Now, this may sound like bad news at first, but bear with me. So recently, I've had a run of terrible things befall me. My fiancé left me, I was losing my home, and my best friend is moving away. Couple that with the feelings of helplessness and anger and sadness surrounding the murder of innocent black and brown Americans, and needless to say, it's been a fire hose of shit lately. However, over the past week, I have done the following. Found a way to keep my place. Joined a project that aims to collect and report on police brutality, all done by volunteers who are wanting to make a difference. Marched in my city's Black Lives Matter protests, which had 20,000 people attend. Holy shit, that's crazy. I was featured on a radio show talking about the problems men have discussing mental health issues, and I was told by the host he wants to make this a weekly segment so that we can continue the conversation around men dealing with their mental health in ways that aren't damaging to themselves and others. They may be small things, but they were the good news I had this week, and I felt like sharing it with y'all. I've been kind of lonely lately, and getting the chance to listen to your pods and write in with my good news is huge, so thank you. And thank you so much for your astute reporting of the news with swears, and for Jordan's laugh. Seriously, it's the best. Keep up the good work, Mikey. Aw. Thank you, Mikey. Thank you so much for writing in and for listening this whole time. That's a fucking long-ass time you've been listening to us. Yeah, Mikey. Thanks. And and hey, man, my DMs are open if you ever need to just, you know, say words to someone. Totally. My DMs are open at, at Muller She Wrote. Totally. Next up from Anonymous. My good news is that I switched to a plant-based diet during the pandemic and I love it. It's been easier than I thought and I feel much healthier. Yay! That's great! Have you done Beyond Burgers, Anonymous? Nice. The best. They're so freaking good. <laughs> I also just had a thought about Mikey's that I just want to say really quick. That stuff... Like you say, it's small stuff, but that's really huge stuff. It takes a lot of energy and follow through to do projects, start projects, continue projects. And it kind of sounds like you're finding a groove after, yeah, having a fire hose of shit. So that's really awesome, actually. And you should feel really proud of yourself for mobilizing yourself to do that right now. Uh, next up from Amanda. Amanda says, I'm a high school teacher and the last few months have been especially stressful for everyone working in schools, as for most other people. Today in the mail, I received a handwritten postcard from my admin team thanking me for my extra work during this time. They have been incredibly busy during this time of work from home, and yet they still, uh, and yet they still took the time to make sure each staff member from our school for uh, for a little personalized thanks. And I found it incredibly touching. That is really nice. You deserve it. You're a hero, teacher. Yes, seriously, very glad. It's crazy how much acknowledging somebody's hard work goes. Like, that's that's a that's such a little thing for them to do, and such a big thing to receive. It sounds, and I'm glad that you got mm. that. And thank you for everything that you do. Totally, it's 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 so good to feel like what you do has value, and it it only takes, you know. And I I need to remind myself to do this more often. It only takes a second to 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 tell people how valuable they are. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. Uh, Next up from Eric. Eric says, so I have this neighbor. He's an old guy. He doesn't get out much. He has mobility problems. For years, I've been taking his bins out to the street and I gave him my Wi-Fi password. Otherwise, I basically left him alone. When the pandemic started, he asked me to go shopping for him. He wanted instant noodles and sustagen. What is that? 
I couldn't get either. I don't know spell it. Oh, hey, here we go. Sustagen. <laughs> you can tell I don't read these. Sustagen is a, is a kind of meal replacement powder. I think it's what they feed people uh. in comas. The noodles he wanted because boiling water is the limit of his cooking ability. I felt bad about coming back empty-handed, but I told him not to worry. I'd bring him a plate for my kitchen. He's had my pot roast, chicken tikka, beef goulash, my personal chili. I don't mind, and he's good company. We've watched all of the West Wing and Breaking Bad together so far. Oh, God. Oh, we've this been is spending, awesome. Yeah. We've been spending time together since it's not like I have anywhere to go. The truth is, he was eating noodles and smoothies for years before the crisis and watching TV alone. I thought I was good enough for sharing the Wi-Fi, but I was actually just ignoring him. He needed more than that. He told me that his life has been better since before the virus because I started to care. He's not so lonely. We have to do this on an inten- on an international scale. We can't ignore our neighbors anymore. This thing only stops if we stop it everywhere. We can't let any country be alone. We're all humans from Earth, and it sucks that we have to learn this way, but maybe we'll see who needs help by looking beyond our walls and our borders. Oh, man. That is heart-fucking-wrenching. Oh, Saint. The both of you. That's so sweet. My God. Ah. I'm, I, I want to know now... Um, Sorry, I'm a little choked up. Yeah. I, I want to know now what he what he what he thought of Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah, like, because in my opinion, beginning to end, it is one of the top. I'm gonna say two television shows uh, of all time mm-hmm. from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. I still haven't finished it. I need to. Uh, the other one being Six Feet Under. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I need to watch. I need. To, oh, I've heard about Six Feet Under. What is that on? Yeah, you remind me of one of the main characters. It's, it was an HBO situation. Got it. Okay, that's funny. I need to get HBO first. The Wire was also was also great, but I, I didn't think that the later seasons of The Wire were as good as the later seasons of either Six Feet Under or Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Yeah. Nice. Ah, Eric, good person, great person. I know. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Next up from Mary. Mary says, a multinational energy company called Enbridge is in the process of building a natural gas compressor station in Weymouth, Massachusetts. A group of concerned citizens called FRAX, F-R-R-A-C-S, that stands for Four River Residents, four as in F-O-R-E, River Residents Against the Compressor Station, has been fighting this project for the last five years. Just this week, we got the news that the First Circuit Court of Appeals has vacated the air quality permit that had been granted to Enbridge in January of 2019. While construction of the compressor station can continue, Enbridge can't operate the compressor station without this permit. I lived in Weymouth for five years and was slash am heavily involved in this fight. Happy for this win. You can find more information at nocompressor.com. Congratulations! Yay! Yeah. And I hope they are continuously unable to operate. That is great. Um, next up from Cindy. Cindy says, I'm a native Iowan who has been absolutely mystified, mortified, and horrified by the presence of the racist and all-around terrible excuse for a human being called Steve King in the U.S. House of Representatives. He's been an embarrassment to so many of us for way too long, and now I'm so, so happy he's been voted out of office what a joy. We've all been jumping for joy over that bit of news lately. Thank you so much for the passion and intelligence you put into your work. Jordan, I'd really love to hear a sound clip with all of your mispronunciations. <laughs> They're worth big belly laughs. <laughs> this all has right, become well, a subplot we'll have... of this podcast is my fucking mouth. 
<laughs> All right. Well, we'll get we'll get um, Mackenzie, uh, our engineer, to just start saving those. <laughs> yeah, it'll be very easy to find. Oh my god. Um. <laughs> okay. And finally, from Michaela, Michaela says. So my good news is that I have participated in two protests and marches consecutively in downtown Sacramento, and they were both peaceful. We did see a lot of riot police and police officers stationed in the yard of the Capitol building, but otherwise, nothing happened. The speeches at both were moving. The first day I went, the event was organized by the NAACP, the second was by NorCal Resist, and the event was called Black and Brown Shut It Down. Both marches had hundreds of people attending, about 15 arrests because of the curfew on Saturday, none on Sunday. Sacramento is also now ending the use of the carter of the what carotid there we go haha there you go mac carotid chokehold um that happened in san diego too yeah we got we got rid of the carotid mm-hmm. uh restraint yeah and when you sent uh ag you sent a screenshot of the legislation democrats are proposing that's also on there right for their sweeping federal bill is banning the chokehold i believe let me, ch- let I me believe, check the screenshot. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it was, um, in at least how it was reported in the screenshot you sent me. Yeah, ban, um, ban on chokeholds, mm-hmm. all chokeholds. Yeah, mm-hmm. not just specifically a carotid one. Mm-hmm. Um, Gavin, Gavin Newsom has also called for an end to this practice statewide. Both events I attended were positive, peaceful, united, and uplifting. I learned more about communities of color. I learned more about what communities of color need from me and how I cannot... I can be not just an ally, but a co-conspirator, which is a term I can get behind. I like that. I've also heard accomplice, uh, too. Um, Both had great speakers, from teenagers with really powerful poems and songs in the black community to victims of police brutality as recently as May 30th. For the first protest, I was with my significant other and their sister and niece. For the second protest, I was with my littlest sister in her 20s and her friends. We were all very united and comforted by the presence of each other at a time like this. The second day of protests that I attended, I was picking up trash while the speaker spoke about white co-conspirators needing to get their hands dirty, which I thought was pleasantly ironic. People were very courteous. My goal was to reduce any negative PR about the protest so that there wouldn't be so much pushback on them. One of the native dancers even gave me gloves so I didn't have to really get my hands dirty. It was a great experience, and while I have attended a protest march for women's rights, Saturday was the first march I attended for someone other than myself. I was really glad I went and got to know the community of people willing to stand up for black and brown communities. That's beautiful. Thank you for writing that and going and sending that in. That's really awesome. Yeah, and what a great way to think about that, too, about the role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we were marching um, on Friday, I believe it was. One of our friends that we were with brought giant trash bags and was, like, picking up trash and stuff, too. And that's something I honestly didn't even think of. And that's such a cool spot for your head to be in. I think that is kind of... That is definitely a role that white people can play in these marches is, like policing other white people first off to not do dumb shit like breaking windows and shit and then also yeah picking up trash is awesome and just positive pr for them for sure um but thank you everybody that's our good news segment you can send more good news to us if you go to our pinned tweet on twitter at daily beans pod there's instructions in that pinned tweet to get to the submission form it's just on our website in the top right hand corner and thank you Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. And if you if you can't do that, head to uh, the Daily Beans. Uh, I think it's the Daily Beans Pod dot com 
or it might be dailybeanspod.com or mullersherote.com or quarantineconfessionspod.com, any of those. uh, I'll take you to the same spot and uh, you can uh, submit through the contact form on there if you don't have a Twitter account. Uh, We don't want you to not be able to uh, submit and I use a double negative, but I'm cute, so I'm allowed. And (laughs) do you have any final thoughts, Jordan? Uh, I I don't think so, other than encouraging all of y'all to stay engaged. Yes, however you can, definitely. However you're able to stay engaged, stay engaged. And if you need to take a break, tag me in. Uh, I'll, I'll do it for you. And uh, I think we're all here to support each other and continue to listen and learn and, and, and move to do the right thing. So thank you for all of your good news stories. Uh, keep submitting your quarantine confessions. We will have a new episode out this Saturday of that. And it is a uh, pride theme happy hour Q&A live stream uh, extravaganza this Friday at 4 p.m. for patrons and then we'll invite the public in case you can't afford to be a patron it's three bucks but if you can't swing it because of it's a weird time uh, we will send out the public link at 5 p.m. Pacific time uh, otherwise 4 p.m. Pacific for patrons and that is this Friday and it is pride themed so bring your your, you know bring your pride and that is it uh so everyone thank you again for listening please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet and take care of your mental health i've been ag i've been jordan coburn and them's the beans the daily beans is executive produced and directed by ag and jordan coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie mazell and starburns industries our marketing manager executive assistant production and social media direction is amanda reader fact checking and research by ag jordan coburn and amanda reader Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joelle Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.